would like to welcome a new sponsor to Satellite Sisters. Liz, you know, we say Satellite Sisters is a pep talk for modern women. We do, Leanne. But now we have a sponsor that is a daily pep talk in your pocket. Awesome. (laughs) That is the Shine app. Every weekday, Shine sends you a motivational text and audio clip to help you start your day feeling like, I got this, man. (laughs) What, you don't start every day like that? I do not. (laughs) But I have enjoyed the Shine app. I like hearing from them. Me too. I like checking in every day. I don't know. We're the Satellite Sisters. We're the Satellite Sisters. I'm Sheila Dolan here with my sisters, Liz, Leon, and Julie. Monica Dolan is in Portland, Oregon. Welcome to You're the Best Encore Interviews from the Satellite Sisters. Former President Bill Clinton, welcome to Satellite Sisters. Thank you. I'm glad to hear your voice. We're talking to Nora Ephron. What a thrill to have Julia Louis-Dreyfus on the show. Thank you very much for having me. Oh, this is fun for us. I loved this book. I laughed. I cried. (laughs) Elizabeth Gilbert, welcome to Satellite Sisters. Hi, everybody. Thanks for having me on. Welcome to you're the best Encore Interviews. Encore Interviews from the Satellite Sisters. From the Satellite Sisters. We are the Satellite Sisters, and welcome to our special series of You're the Best Encore Interviews. Uh, I'm Liz Dolan. I'm here today with my sister, Leanne. And Leanne, we listened to a lot of our favorite interviews over the years, and we picked out these special ones because they're the best, right? <laughs> these are our favorite people from over the years. I, I have relearned something new. Is that possible? I, I have enjoyed listening to every single one of these again, and we hope that new and old Satellite Sister listeners enjoy listening to some of our favorite guests because we were able to talk to a lot of people over the last 15 years of Satellite Sisters. And Liz, today we're going to talk to Elizabeth Gilbert. You're going to hear our interview with Elizabeth Gilbert. Do you remember doing this initially? I remember this very, very distinctly because believe it or not, no one had ever heard of the book Eat, Pray, Love. Just imagine there was a world before people (laughs) knew Eat, Pray, Love and Elizabeth Gilbert. We got this as an advanced book. It hadn't even come out yet. I believe we talked to her on her publication we, date. I know we even, did. Yeah. yeah. The so day it came it, out. The day it came out. Yeah. So she was not famous then. She was not Liz Gilbert then. You'll notice we call her Elizabeth because she hadn't even become Liz Gilbert yet. <laughs> and I know that when we when I read the book, I mean... No matter how you feel about this book, it was very unique and really sort of set a tone for an era, and it really made an impact on people. And uh, so I remember reading it and just finding it fascinating. And then when we talked to her, again, it's not like we had already seen her a million times on Oprah. Right. Nobody had ever met her before. And she was so charming and nice and fun to talk to. It really kind of um, opened up the whole discussion. So... I remember this and I enjoyed it. How about you? No, I did not even think I was there that day because <laughs> I, I have never read Eat, Pray, Love the way we usually did it on the show. That was, was part of our Satellite Sister book club. We always picked a book by or about a woman, usually a memoir or an autobiography, and we would divvy them up. You and I would divvy up the guests. We did most of the interviews. And this was your book, and I was probably reading some other book at the time. So you can tell from the interview, I never read the book, (laughs) and uh, I've never read it since, because I thought this was such a complete interview. I felt like 
I had eaten, I had prayed, I had loved. And then, <laughs> and then she became emotional guru, you know, Elizabeth Gilbert. And, um, but this, I know. And she this was just, we, we take, our take on this is like, wow. So you had pasta in Italy. Fantastic. I mean, it's just, <laughs> it's fun to hear her at the beginning of, yes. you know, her venture that would become the brand and, uh, and us, uh, actually, <laughs> that we don't sound too bad. I'm happy yeah, for that. I, I, I can see as, as I listened back to this, I um, mean, she didn't realize she was on the verge of becoming a brand. And, uh, we didn't really realize that either, but we enjoyed the book and we enjoyed talking to her. So that's why she made the, you're the best cut because she's one, our old producer, Corny Call would say, you know, after we did an interview, she would say, oh, she really came to play. And, you know, someone who really wanted to talk to us, had fun talking about her work. And um, Elizabeth Gilbert uh, really came to play on this day, I thought. So please enjoy this, our You're the Best interview series with Elizabeth Gilbert, author of Eat, Pray, Love, on the day that Eat, Pray, Love came out. Every month on Satellite Sisters, we pick a book. It's always a biography, autobiography, or memoir by or about a woman, because we care about real women and your real lives. And we bring the author on the show to talk about her experience. And this month's book is called Eat, Pray, Love, One Woman's Search for Everything across Italy, India, and Indonesia. And I got to tell you, I loved this book. I laughed. <laughs> I cried. It made me think deeply. It made me laugh. Anyway, Elizabeth Gilbert, welcome to Satellite Sisters. Hi, everybody. <laughs> Thank you for having me on. Hey, I think what's so fun about your book, Elizabeth, is that it's sort of, it starts with a common tragedy that people experience. You go through this excruciating divorce, but then you take us through this fantasy where you've flee the United States and you have not one, not two, but three fantastic adventures. And then it all turns out okay, Elizabeth. That's nice. (laughs) (laughs) But let's let's start at the very beginning. Okay. Your story begins with a really excruciating divorce. You're sobbing on the bathroom floor. You're in this murky hole of bottomless grief. What was the turning point when you just decided, I got to get out of here and I'm just not going to go hang out in Italy. I'm going to go to Italy and then I'm going to go to India and then I'm going to go to Indonesia. I am just getting myself out. Well, I I would love to say that there was a a dramatic sort of Hollywood moment when that happened and I kind of stuck a post-it note on the door and just said, you know, threw a scarf over my neck and said, I'm out of here, you know. Um, But anybody who's ever gone through a divorce, I think, can testify also that it doesn't go like that. You know, it was a four-year process. It just sounds awful the way you You write about it. It was a huge process. It was, you know, years of, you know, know, uncertainty about whether to stay or go, a lot of grief, a lot of heartache, a lot of remorse, and then leaving and then a really long, excruciated two-year process trying to actually extricate myself from the marriage, followed by your sort of classic rebound relationship. Yeah, that sounded like if you were my satellite sister Elizabeth at the time, uh-huh. I would have said, maybe you should just step away for a little yeah. while. Maybe you should give it a rest. Did yeah. your friends try to do that? Yeah, you know, I, I'm not sure anybody ever can listen to their friends when they're in a state of total infatuation like that. And That's you, true. <laughs> you know, and when, you know, I mean, if we could, I think life would be a lot simpler, but I think you just almost impale the next person that you fall in love with after a difficult you know, breakup. <laughs> you impale them with their hope, with this hope that they're going to be everything the other person wasn't. And um, Yeah, Sheila always says she doesn't date, she takes hostages. And <laughs> that's exactly what I was thinking of, Elizabeth, when I was reading yeah, your book. I know I wince at, you know, what I asked this guy to be. You 
know, the moon and the stars and the world and the redemption and, and everything. And, um, and in fact, of course, what you have to do is go out and sort of become all those things for yourself. And, you know, I say that as though that was an easy and light thing to do. But ultimately, what I did decide to do was I needed to put as many oceans, continents, and mountain ranges and rivers as possible between me and both of these guys. <laughs> yeah. um, and not only that, but between me and my entire life and what I had created and go back to this very fundamental kind of way of reclaiming selfhood, which is the good old-fashioned pilgrimage, the quest. And, um, and that's what the journey was all about. You know, reclaiming selfhood, the way it sounds so dry, but the way you write about it in such a fun, funny, moving way. Let's start with the eat part of the eat, pray, love uh-huh. uh, journey. First, you go to Italy. I think most of us, our first instinct would be to run away to Italy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it's a very good instinct. And, I, and if I were your satellite, <laughs> I would recommend it to anybody. I mean, the whole, the whole arc of the book was I went to those three countries, to Italy, India, and Indonesia, looking for one aspect of myself against the backdrop of a place that does that thing kind of really well. So it was like an intensive re-immersion into selfhood. You know? Yeah, so Italy was really about Italy the pleasure about pleasure. Yeah. India about devotion, Indonesia about balance between the two. So first pleasure, and I'm really glad I did that place first because I went there and I was still pretty broken. You know, I was on antidepressants, I was a wreck, I was still crying, mm-hmm. I was still pretty lost. And I just decided to kind of treat myself as though... I were my own best boyfriend, you know. <laughs> like, oh, that's I'm, a good approach. Yeah, I was like, I'm going to spoil you. I'm going to take you, Liz, to Italy, you know, and I'm just going to let you have whatever you want and and just nourish you and nurse you back to health. And that's what those four months were for. And I did it in a culture that has no problem with that idea. You know, like any Italian that I met when I was traveling, and I told them, listen, I've come to Italy for four months to experience pure decadent pleasure, they would just go, yeah. Sure, good for you. Yeah, good choice. We're talking to Elizabeth Gilbert. Her book is Eat, Pray, Love. Did your American friends mock you at all on that same score, like a pleasure seeking? Uh, We're not so sure that's a good use of your time. Well, you know, it's not so much my friends, but more, I mean, my friends kind of got it because they know me and, and they're people who would sort of understand that sort of thing. But what I have been surprised by was the number of people who, you know, before and after the trip said to me, well, that seems like a really self-indulgent thing to have done. You know, frankly, I have to say that I'd come to the point where I thought that spending the rest of my life miserable, depressed, and anxious was kind of self-indulgent. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> and yet people kind of have no problem with that, you know. Um, well, you describe yourself as a cross between a barnacle and a golden retriever, which doesn't <laughs> doesn't exactly sound like the independent, exploring kind of woman, you know, Elizabeth. Desperate for affection, I think, was definitely where I was before then, you know. So, so it's funny, like, the people were okay with me being depressed as long as I was being productive in a way that was recognizable, you know. <laughs> Right. But for me to go kind of bring happiness and joy and delight and life back into myself um, by taking off and going and, you know, eating my way through Italy was seen as kind of decadent. And yet, and yet in, the, in the long run, I feel like it was ultimately, I mean, in addition to reviving my spirit, it's a community service. I became one less miserable, depressed person, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I can't help but think that that's to the advantage of the whole community in the end. <laughs> in the end, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, that is a very good stance, Elizabeth. <laughs> you know what? That's my justification for yeah, it. I, I buy good it. Good for you. Totally More power to you. No, but seriously, guys, I mean, I remember being on the subway in New York City when I lived in New York, and I remember coming home from David's house, my rebound boyfriend, sobbing openly on the train. And when I look back at that girl, I feel sorry for her, but I also feel sorry for those damn New York commuters who, like, they don't have enough on their plate. They have to watch somebody weep. Liz, you know we love talking about FrameBridge, don't we? We do. (laughs) Because because there are just so many fun things to frame, Leon, aren't there? 
Right. Anything. You can just upload a digital photo from your phone and they can print it and frame it. And that is a gift right there, a gift people would love getting. But Liz, you recently had quite an exciting Framebridge experience. Would I, I you did. like to share? Would you like you know, to? I talked about how when we were at the Bruce Springsteen concert, I was with our brother Dick, his wife Susan, his two kids, and one of the roadies threw us the set list at the end of the show, which was amazing to get the actual set list for the actual concert in Los Angeles. And we're like, oh, yeah, any day now, that's going to be in a place of honor in their home. Sure enough, Leon, they have already framebridged it and sent it to us with a picture. So I'll be in Bend next week, so I'll get to see it. But it's just excellent use of the Framebridge resources, the Bruce Springsteen set list. Fantastic. And this is gift giving season. So if you have a graduation coming up, a wedding, a shower, Mother's Day, Father's Day, look around. I'm sure you have something fun you can frame and Framebridge can do it for you. It's easy and it's affordable to frame just about anything. You get fair and transparent upfront pricing based on the size of your item. There's a great selection of frames. And as we've said in the past, fast service, free shipping, rate or gifts. Mm -hmm. And guess what? Liz, not many things in life give you a happiness guarantee, but Framebridge does. If you're not 100% happy with your piece, they will make it right. So if this but sounds you like- you're going to be happy, okay? Yeah. And that's just the Satellite Sisters promise. You're going to be out. You're going to be happy you did it. See why Framebridge has been trusted to frame over 2 million pieces. Visit framebridge.com or see a local Framebridge store to get started and custom frame just about anything, like a Bruce Springsteen set list. That's framebridge.com. Thanks, Framebridge. Hey, it's Liz and Leanne here, and we want to thank Pros for supporting this episode of Satellite Sisters. Now, you know, Liz, I've been out and about with my new book, The Marriage Sabbatical. Mm -hmm. The book is getting rave reviews. I'm very happy. But you know what else is getting rave reviews? My hair, Liz, my hair from Pros is getting <laughs> rave reviews. Lynn, I am not surprised. You have been on that Pros hair regimen for quite a while. I mean, you have good hair anyway, but now you have great hair because you've really paid attention to it. Well, Liz, Pros is made for people, not hair and skin types. Personalization is rooted in everything they do from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. And you know what? I love the regimen they have me on. I, do I take the hair vitamins every day? Yes, I do. Do I use my shampoo and conditioner made especially for Leon Dolan? Yes, I do. Do I sometimes use the leave-in conditioner when I, my hair's really dry? I do. And I even have a pre-scalp thing that they give me. Okay, pros, you, you're the boss. I'll take it. <laughs> you tell me what my hair needs. That sounds good. And here's the thing. It's personalization, Liz. For yeah. millions of possible formulas, only one is uniquely Leon's. Okay? And I'm I'm using it. Pros isn't just better for you. It's also better for the planet, Liz. They're a certified B Corp, cruelty-free, and the first and only carbon-neutral custom beauty brand. So, Pros, we love you. I love the photos of my hair. Couldn't be happier. <laughs> photos of your hair. There are people in the photos, too. That's the thing about a book tour. Everybody yeah. has their picture taken with Leon and then post it. So yeah. the hair is important. <laughs> Couldn't be happier, Pros. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin. They're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash sisters. So you get your free consultation, then 50% off at pros.com slash sisters. And pros is spelled P-R-O-S-E, pros.com slash sisters. Thanks, pros.
<laughs> the people that are backing away, they're going, they're getting off and no, going into the next car. I've been that person. I don't want to be that like sucking black hole of grief anymore. Yeah. And, um, and I'm not that person anymore. So. Instead, you became gelato three meals a day. That sounds good. <laughs> the girl who gained 23 pounds in four months. You're kidding. No. Way to go. All right. It was so all about the pleasure except for sexual pleasure, right? You decided no Italian boyfriends. No Italian boyfriends, which was hard because um, I ended up... Because it's Italy. <laughs> and too, I know when I told people I was being celibate, they would say, and you're going to Italy? Um, but And especially tricky because I ended up um, uh, becoming the sort of Italian language student of my two Italian language conversation partners who were identical 25-year-old gorgeous Italian twin brothers named Giovanni and Dario. And I kept yeah, thinking, That sounds very tempting. Okay, you made that up. That could not possibly <laughs> no, that be That is real. absolutely true. I even have photos. Um, although not very scantilizing, you know, not very um, tantalizing ones. But uh, but anyway, they were adorable and, and very tempting. And I remember thinking, well, gee, maybe I could be totally celibate except for 25-year-old identical Italian twin. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as long as you're writing your own rules, Elizabeth, go for it. You know, it's, it's a little like a friend of mine who's vegetarian except for bacon. Um, but, uh, <laughs> You know, you, you 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 make exceptions where you can. But no, I, I I decided I needed a break, and that and it was also a community service to to not impale myself again on somebody else like that. You know, and just just tr- try to learn how to take care of myself a little bit. Yeah. And you know, it gives you freedom to gain the twenty three pounds without having <laughs> exactly. any kind of worry. No judgment. Yeah. <laughs> These are three fascinating visits Elizabeth Gilbert made in her new book, Eat, Pray, Love. So okay, so you've got all the pleasure. It's washing over you. You're in Italy. You're enjoying yourself. You're making friends. Then India, which seems like a really radical shift. And all of a sudden you're scrubbing temple floors and getting up at 4 a.m. That's the part that I was not so sure about, Elizabeth. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, you're not the only one. I had a friend in New York, and when I told him I was going to India to, to look for God and to live in an ashram in this very monastic, austere surrounding, he said, oh, wow, that's incredible. There's a part of me that so wishes that I wanted to do that, but I really, <laughs> really have no desire for it at all. And I think that's the case. You either really want that and you want it from the sort of marrow of your bones or or you don't. And, and you know, I don't think many people are brought into a desire for really serious um, devotion yeah. that don't come from a place of pain. I mean, I don't think many people, I think, uh, pursue God from a place of joy. I think a lot of us get backed into corners where everything else has failed and that's where you come to, you know. You, and for you, it really was about, at this point, it is about pursuing God. It's not yeah. about, you know, I would have been more interested in, like, the Yoga? spa services. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you were not at that kind of a retreat at all. Oh, no. No, this is not a spa ashram. No, no. This is very rigorous and very austere. I mean, this is getting up at 3.30 in the morning and beginning a day of, of long meditation, contemplation, prayer, and physical work, you know, um, mm-hmm. throughout the whole day. But it's an amazing moment if you can allow yourself that amount of time in your life just for the question, you know, to explore your own soul and to explore your own relationship with some sort of idea of divinity. And it's not easy, and it wasn't always particularly fun, although I was helped because I, I had the very good character karma luck to run into this guy at the ashram named Richard from Texas, who became sort of my personal guru while I was there. And he was this Vietnam vet from Texas who had this amazing, hilarious ability to take these very esoteric yogic ideas and translate them into these very down-home sort of homilies that... Um, 
um, that stuck with me. And, and yeah, those are some real laugh out loud moments in your story too. Yeah, I was pretty lucky. I mean, I think I, a friend of mine said, "You're the only person in the world who could go to to India and find a Texas guru." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, do you think that maybe Elizabeth that were you just always an overthinker? I think many of us are, so this is not an accusation. Mm-hmm. But when I, when I read you uh, sort of wrestling with how to meditate, how to turn your mind off, how to, how to focus, how to not think about anything, um, it just reminded me that maybe we just all spend too much time overthinking everything. Yeah, I mean, I think as humans we do. The Buddhists call it the monkey mind. It's just the way our minds operate. I, I know I'm not the only person who ever sat in meditation, and I had this moment in India. Sitting in meditation, I started fantasizing about when I got back home to the States and got a house, how I would really like to have a meditation room and I'd like it if it was sort of gold-colored. And it was So here I am in India in meditation fantasizing about where I'm going to meditate. Okay, Elizabeth, we covered Italy quickly. We made our stop in India. Then you go to Indonesia and this is kind of a risky move because you go to study with slash live with a medicine man, healer, you had met very briefly a couple of years before. That was quite a leap of faith. He like read your palm and said, you're going to come back and live with me. And you did it. Yeah, I'm that kind of person. I feel like, you know, if you go to a foreign country and you give an old man with no teeth $10 and he reads your palm and makes a prediction like that, you know, you should you should manifest it. Yeah, you should follow up on yeah, that. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. So it, would well. be, it would be irresponsible not to. Um, <laughs> so, but yeah, I had been to Bali a couple of years prior um, on a magazine assignment for Allure magazine, doing a story about yoga vacations in Bali because I take all the really tough. That's a rough right. Assignment. Wow. Assignment. Thank goodness someone is out doing that well, kind you of. You know what? Or... I think somebody's got a bust that open, you know, um, and I was the one who went deep, deep undercover into those spas in Bali. But I did, while I was there, meet this um, ninth generation Indonesian medicine man, like you said, and he read my palm, and he, in addition to making some very startling, accurate comments about me, said, it's destiny, you're coming back here, you're going to stay here for four months, you're going to become my student, I'm going to teach you everything about Balinese meditation and life and God, and you're going to teach me better English, and there it is, you know. Really? Was this before your divorce? Yeah. Well, during. <laughs> there was a long during in my divorce. Okay, but, then, Leanne, but then what happens is she goes back. She doesn't tell him she's coming. There's no contact in the ensuing several years. You just, like, turn up back yeah. on, his, on his porch where he's sitting, and at first he doesn't even recognize you, Elizabeth. <laughs> like, who are you? What are you doing here? And you're like, I'm here to live with you. <laughs> remember? <laughs> remember, I'm Grasshopper, and you're... <laughs> remember? Um, actually, I, I loved that moment, even though it was sort of, you know... I had no way to contact him. It's not like he has a fax machine. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, and I just thought, I have to do this. And that actually really was the thing that brought the whole book into being, was mostly that I really wanted to go back there. There were other things I wanted to do, too, but that was the piece of it that I wanted. It took two years, but I got back there, and he had no idea who I was. And I thought, oh, this is so mythic. You know, this is so what happens on a, on a quest. You know, you meet the old hag who tells you you have to go get the golden apple from the tree of life, and you fight the dragons, and you do it, and you bring it back, and she has no idea what she's you're like, talking who? about. She's like, yeah. who? She's like, yeah. golden apple? No, 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 you're supposed to do, you know, but... Um, well, at least the, yeah, no matter what, you're in Bali. So even if the guy had totally blown you off, which yeah, he exactly didn't, Liz. there are worse places to be, Julie, One don't you think? thing happens, I'm in Bali. Yeah, but as it turned out, I managed to convince him that he remembered me, and, um, and <laughs> we ended up spending several months. I spent a long, long, long chunk of time with him as his, I don't even know what, intern, <laughs> companion, um, friend. We just hung out, and, and, and he sort of took all of those very austere yogic lessons 
that I learned in India and softened them in a very Balinese manner. Um, because I, the reason I really love Bali is that I feel like the Balinese get this one piece of life better than anyone I've ever met as a culture, which is that a perfect life is one that does have perfect balance between worldly delight. They love beauty and joy and feasts and parties just as much as any Roman, right. you know, and and also a deep, deep, deep spiritual discipline, you know, um, as much as any yogi. And that's what they do every day in their lives there. And so I that's all good. But then on top of that, Elizabeth, you met your Brazilian boyfriend. Oh, yeah. So that, that I think nice. those, the balance, the devotion, the yeah, yeah, that's all good. And then the Brazilian lover just sort of <laughs> really makes it all come together, doesn't it? Well, what would a quest be without a Brazilian lover? <laughs> <laughs> Well, that was more than I had even dared to ask for. I mean, it's funny because I went on this journey and I was very specific, as I think you have to be when you're on a vision quest. I was very specific about what I was looking for, and I never asked for that or looked for it, and yet there it came. Um, and, and it was this wonderful man, this older guy divorced, living in Bali, an expat, who just was beautiful and is beautiful. And we still now, two years later, um, still feel like we're at the beginning of a very romantic story. That's so great. Yeah. So now, so uh, what's so great about the book, Elizabeth? You've put it out there. How are people reacting? Are you getting different kinds of reactions from men and women? Well, I'm surprised that men are reading it. I mean, I never imagined that I could never picture a guy reading a book like this. And yet I am getting men reading it because I do think that, you know, um, although it is, I do still think it's a woman's book, you know, um, the themes, the questions, the doubts, the, the chaos of our minds and the desire and yearning to go out in the world and find ourselves and find the world within ourselves is something that I do think is, is fairly universal. So I think people are reacting to it really nicely. Thanks for listening. You're the best. For more You're the Best Encore interviews or Satellite Sisters podcasts, go to SatelliteSisters.com or iTunes. And don't forget, call your Satellite Sister. Call your Satellite Sister. Call your Satellite Sister.